Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast. I'm Luke Edwards, and joining me, we have a star-studded lineup because the Champions League draw has just been made. We're recording this about an hour after the Champions League draw has been made. So joining me, we have Mariam Naz. She's a freelance journalist, but you'll most likely see her work in The Guardian. Good afternoon. Hi, I'm really excited. I've never been on one of these before. I, not for lack of trying. You have been really pestering me, and I keep saying, oh, I've got this, this and that, but... Finally, finally, I'm here and I'm really excited. I think this is your second time. I'm sure you've been on before. Oh, yeah, there was that one time. Yeah. Gosh, it was so long ago. I just feel like there's been such a such a gap, um, as you say, working with the Guardians are pretty much busy weekends in, in and out. Um, but I'm, I'm glad to be on here and I'm really excited because, as you say, there's a couple of other people on this podcast who are probably more exciting than me. Well, just before we came on, you were fangirling over him, weren't you? So um, <laughs> <laughs> we have got... Mia Eriksson, she joined us during the Euro. She's very kindly back with us again today. She's from TV4 in Sweden and co-host of their Pitch podcast. I'm not saying the Swedish version of it. But, uh, <laughs> hello, Mia. Hello. There's no Swedish version of my podcast, so you're good. Oh, okay. Is it? I mean, it's in Swedish. The name's in Swedish as well, though. Yeah. No, because you are thinking about, you know, it's TV4 and the football's canal, and we say it's the football channel in Sweden. Oh, okay. But you, you don't have to mention that their pitch is just fine. And we are, we, we decided that name to go all international, you know. So excellent. Thank you. There we For go. For people like you to not. <laughs> so you don't English have people to like me not being able to yeah, pronounce stuff. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and also joining us, we have got. Inyesh Sampaio, she's from the Portuguese publication Renashenka. Did I say that right? Uh, yeah, let's say you did. Let's say you did. Okay. <laughs> that's really passive aggressive from you. <laughs> no, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, it's it's close enough. I know. Portuguese isn't easy for, yeah. for English people. I get it. But I was it's, there. Yeah, it's, I know it's like Schenka, so I was trying to go for that. Yeah. Anyway. It's cool. Cool. The Champions League, the final qualifiers took place all last week. Arsenal made it to the group stage, winning 1-0 in Amsterdam against Ajax. Eventually 3-2 on aggregate, and that was thanks to Viv Miedema's strike. The main talking point out of that game was the fact that a 10-centimetre discrepancy was discovered in the goals, and Jonas Eideval said he had never experienced anything like it. Ajax did later come out and apologise for the error, but ladies, have you ever heard of anything like that? Go, you go ahead. No, clearly not. <laughs> Where you've, you've asked a question and you've received no response, and that that tells you the whole story. I think it's it's definitely strange, and there's a lot of people online who are like either on the side of that's absolutely atrocious, that's illegal, that's crazy, or on the side which I find myself on, which is that it, you know the, clearly there was an error or mistake that occurred in the warm up uh, prior to the game. But how does something like that happen, though? Can you be sympathetic towards it? It's not like a common thing. I've never heard this before. It's it's so strange um, to have missed something so big. And it, I think it really points people towards a more conspiracy-like mindset. Oh, they must have done it on purpose. They were trying to get away with something. Um, I don't think that's the case. But it there's definitely like two sides. People are either on one side or the other. A lot of angry Arsenal fans. Yeah, you don't have to... You... I don't want to angry more Arsenal fans, but <laughs> I'm on the side that the fact is that I'm pretty sure that uh, the goals on the pitch uh, before kickoff were, is the goals that they play with in the league. So I'm I'm pretty sure it's was just a mistake. And and to also we have to add to this conversation that the the league in the Netherlands it's like. It's not professional, so the people working in the clubs, I mean, obviously, you got to have some sort of, like, non-conspiracy sense into this, I think. I think I just think to there's... add that, though, they, they were playing at the um, the training ground, weren't they? So, I know they did start to say, Ajax, well, we've got people working there every day, doing maintenance and stuff, and the goals were put put up and then not put back in properly was that their excuse i think there should be some sympathy uh, and some empathy as well because like mia said they're the league the the dutch league is not professional and i think we have to have some uh respect uh towards the people who work in a non-professional setting every day 
uh, to, to make sure that things are uh, as they should be. Also, I think it should be of note that like, at least uh, for me, the first version of the, of the Jonas Eideval quote that I got was very different from the second version that I found, which apparently was like the real one. Uh, so the first one, it had, I got the impression that they had apparently done it on purpose. The second one was just, oh, this is how it, this was. And we realized it wasn't the, the way it should have been. And, you know, it, it gives us it gives off a, a very different idea uh, in terms of intention. Um, so I think there should definitely be some uh, sympathy towards um, Ajax and the setting and the people, because uh, believing in uh, conspiracy, conspiracy theories is always a, a little bit of a slippery slope. Um, and I think women's football doesn't deserve that kind of um you know thing right now uh and i think we should be respectful of ajax and the people who work for ajax as well mia have you got Jonas side of on speed dial uh, would i have you asked him about this or <laughs> uh, no i haven't but the thing is with uh, Jonas Eideval is uh, which i'm quite sure many people have already realized is that he is very passionate and he has a temper. And, you know, uh, I do think that, you, like me, as a Swede, when I read his quotes in English, I can see his facial expression sometimes. <laughs> and something like that. But, I mean, I, I also feel that, I mean, nah, I don't believe it's done on purpose. No. He's definitely quite an intense guy. I mean, like whenever I have interviewed him and I was um I always remember the interview from the last game of last season after uh, you know it, it it Chelsea had won the league and he was just so intense and 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 so in your face and it's it's very easy to mistake that for um you know negativity or even within the press conference it's becoming part of English media that he's definitely one of the one of the managers who is more vocal about things that upset or irritate him. And it's very easy to villainize people like that. Um, I know that I've I've kinda you know, in the beginning I kinda had that vibe towards him, but the more and more you read it, the more and more you you realize that a lot of it's misinterpreted. Like definitely the initial reports to me sounded like Arsenal were accusing IX. Um, and I think a lot of people got lost in that. Um and there were a few people, and Sophie Lawson, who, who's got her full-time work at ESPN now, was one of the people pointed out that it wasn't an accusation. You know, it, there was no sort of argument that they'd done it on purpose. It was just you know, sort of an investigation into it, and Ajax had quickly um, responded and reacted. So I think that's another thing. Jonas is a pretty intense dude, but, you know, that's that's part of who he is as a person, and it, it's worked so well for Arsenal. Of course, in any situation like this, you're going to get managers more intense. Think of managers like Jurgen Klopp or um, Jose Mourinho. They're, they're characters that are like that. And I think we can't we can't use that to to create a scandal, especially as you say right now in women's football. We've got to focus on the good things that's coming on the back of the Euros and what's happening this season in the WSL. I I I must just say uh, into this conversation conversation about Juno Well, I think. Uh, WSL fans uh, have seen nothing yet. Oh, uh, really? He's just getting started. I thought you Swedes were very calm, Mia. Yeah, perhaps, but I I know for a fact that Jonas Edeval was one of the coaches. What, what, you know, in Sweden, we have stadiums like that. They're quite big, the stadiums, and of course, we, we all also struggle with the filling them up with fans so if you if you watch the game uh, on television when Jonas Edeval was coaching in Sweden you could definitely hear him I can tell you that much and uh, I do think that he was the coach in Sweden that with the most yellow cards he was he was sent up uh, in the stands more than once I think so He's a Mourinho then, <laughs> in that sense. <laughs> in the Champions League, Arsenal were drawn in Group C. They will play Juventus, Zurich and the holders, Leon. They're playing for second place in that group, aren't they, surely? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's that's a really difficult team to be in. I mean, I suppose historically, obviously, Arsenal are the only English team to win the competition, but you're playing against um, 
two top teams who have really outside of Barcelona have a really strong chokehold on European competitions. Um, Arsenal did make it to the quarterfinals last year, but that was that was a run that they really had to work on, and they didn't have as much pressure and focus on them last season as they did this season. In which that this is the season they must work on to win the league. This is the season that they have Miedema with. This is the season they bought they bought players over the summer for. I think there's a lot more pressure on this season, and and think of about you know Chelsea as well. With the the WSL becoming more and more competitive, it's going to be harder to to juggle that. So definitely, I think. I think that they can't look to maintain their position in the league as well as juggling what's going on in the Champions League. So definitely, yeah, I don't think it'll be top spot. Um, it's going to be difficult. Um, it's going to be difficult for Chelsea for similar reasons. Uh, and it'll be interesting, you know, if you're a neutral and you're not a fan, um, you get to see exactly how these teams struggle, both having to try to maintain a position in the Champions League as, as well as fighting for, for the league challenge because once again it looks like it's going to be um, a two-horse race. But Mia, Arsenal have got European winners now in Beth Mead and Leah Williamson. They've also got Blackstina Blackstenius in there now and this is where you need Viv Mead to step up as well. I, I, I must say I'm not sure I agree with the fact that Arsenal is playing... Uh, for the second place in that group, because I do think that Lyon, uh, they have a lot of players injured. Um, especially, I do think that their their centre back position is is quite interesting now because they they have loaned Vanessa Giles uh, after Mbox uh, injury, and the fact is that if you look at the stats from the last uh, season's Champions League, Lyon was one of the best teams in defending. And so uh, I do think that with the Jonas Edeval's uh, thoughts about how to play in Europe, it's going to be very interesting to see if if Arsenal can maintain that uh, route that they are on. Um, so I, I this is my take on it. Yeah, you mentioned a lot of good players, but the fact is that there's so many squads in this in in these groups that that can qualify to win the Champions League. I think it's going to be about the fact that who who is the best coach who can who can manage uh, these squads throughout the whole tournament because we have reached a new level in women's football right now. It's not just about the best players. Because when the game grows, the the quality of the play also grows and it's going to be a huge uh, season for the WSL teams in Europe. Mm. So whatever that means now, I, I'm not sure. But they, I do think that it's time for the WSL teams and the managements behind the teams to, to really... Yeah, they are going to have to show, the, show Europe now that mm. they are able to, to manage in Europe going up against these teams. Yeah, and yes, Juventus are in there as well. They've got another year's experience now in the Champions League. For the first time ever, two Italian teams have qualified for the group stages. So Serie A has become professional. That's now improving as well. So do you think they could be the biggest threat to Arsenal and Leon? Um, I think uh, Juventus, just like last year, have the potential to surprise a lot of, a lot of people. Uh, because they're a very strong team and they have a lot of their players have been playing together for a lot for many many years and then there's I think there's a lot of there's also a question of uh, not so much mentality but how you do mentally in the big moments and I think Arsenal are traditionally a team that have a sort of mental block in the in the big moments uh, sometimes with bigger teams they are not, maybe they have the talent to beat them, but there's something that keeps them from, you know, taking the extra step. Uh, Juventus are, you know, there's a thing about uh, Italian football, you know, the Italian football mentality that they're very, very strong mentally. Italian strong team, uh, Italian teams <laughs> tend to be very strong mentally. Um, and Lyon are, you know, they have been, they have won the Champions League numerous times and last year when everyone was saying Barcelona were the favorites Lyon took it home you know 
very, uh, I wouldn't say easily, but in a very authoritative way. And I think this time when the Arsenal have brought up, brought in so many good players uh, and they are building this team to finally, you know, get back to their winning ways. I think it'll be very much of, uh, um, like Mia said, the management and something that is connected to that, uh, how the, the manager can, you know, uh, deal with the mental aspect uh, of their players and the games themselves uh, in order to help Arsenal uh, past that uh, mental barrier of sorts so they can you know get past teams that are just as big or bigger than them and actually you know be be because uh, um, last year Barcelona uh, sweep the ground with them sweep the floor with them and um, so I think against Lyon it's as big as a challenge and Arsenal can't think that they're a smaller team they have to play by, like a big team against the biggest teams as well and I think uh, the mental the mental aspect in the big moments is very important and I think it will be very important in these groups of death uh, as we call them because um, at, at this point those big teams are very similar so I think it'll It'll depend on the details in, in the big moments, those uh, small uh, aspects of the game that are uh, up to the players and the managers, of course. But, you know, one team gets it right, one team gets it wrong, and the team that gets it right is the one that goes through. The details and the big moments are definitely key for in a group with such strong teams uh, stacked together. Over in Portugal, it was a brave effort by Glasgow Rangers. Ultimately, they suffered an agonising extra time defeat to Benfica. They trailed 3-2 from the first leg in Glasgow, but 16-year-old Emma Watson scored to take the game into extra time. Chloe Lacaste then levelled on the night for Benfica just a few minutes into extra time. Lucia Alves was then sent off for the hosts, but with a minute to go, Jessica Silva sealed the win and a 5-3 aggregate scoreline. And yes, ultimately, it was heartbreak for Rangers, but it's Benfica who managed to go through. Yes, and um, we, ma- uh, we, Portugal, managed to secure two, stop- uh, two spots for the Champions League next season, which is amazing considering, you know, Benfica just last year made history by getting to the group stage. Now we, we're going to have two teams in the Champions League. It's huge. It's really, really big. And ultimately, I think Benfica deserved to go through uh, because they were the stronger team throughout. Uh, lots of emotion, lots of tension. Uh, it was a, a roller coaster of a game, two games that were absolute roller coasters. But I think Benfica were from the beginning the stronger team and they showed that uh but now we're gonna have a really 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 tough challenge in the group stage and i'm not so i'm not one to sugarcoat things so i think uh if you are basically going to fight for the third spot Mm. not for qualification because barcelona and bayern are on another level I think Rosengard is stronger than Ushika too, but that is more debatable. So, yeah, it's definitely a fight for the third place. Yeah, they're in Group D, as you mentioned, alongside Bayern, Barcelona and Rosengard of Sweden. And Mia, (laughs) I'm guessing Rosengard are the massive underdogs in that group, or are they? Uh, Yeah, I think that... I think, I'm going to be honest, I I don't think that, um, of course... Every team had their like dream, um, dream draw, but I do think that our rules and God uh, will have it tough no matter the opponent. Um, they have a great team in Sweden with German players and and some Danish internationals and, but but I do think that they are gonna struggle. What, what sort of team are they then? Because obviously, in case you don't know, you can watch all the games on DAZN on the YouTube channel there. So if somebody wants to watch Rosengard take on Benfica or Barcelona or Bayern, what sort of team are Rosengard? 
Yeah, what sort of team are they? Uh, I mean, in in the Swedish league, they've actually they're quite known for concede in the very first minutes of the game, but then they also scored scored their goals in the last part of the games. Uh, they often turn turn games around at the dying minutes, um, and and I do think that that shows of a great mentality uh, of that team. Um, they are they are very known in Sweden for getting things done and turn turn things around if they need, um, and that's the mentality they they have in Sweden because they they are experienced as a club in winning league titles in Sweden. Um, but I do think that they will suffer enormously from not having their captain and the Swedish international captain, Caroline Seger, on the pitch. Um, she's, a, she's an important player for them. And they haven't been able to find um, the stability this season, even though they, they are still a good team and they are probably going to win the Swedish league. Uh, this season as well. Chelsea are in Group A alongside Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid and a new team in the competition, Villazina of Albania. Now, Alex, is a podcast regular. She's a bit down in the dumps about this group. So, Mariam, should she be? It's it's a difficult one. I When I saw um, early this morning that we were in the same group as PSG and Real Madrid, I did feel, I feel that this could be a difficult tie just because... Um, you know, we talked a lot about Italian teams today. We've really struggled um, against the Spanish sides as well. Uh, obviously, last season, Chelsea went out um, really kind of embarrassingly in the knockout rounds, head-to-head, uh, on tiebreakers with Juventus and Wolfsburg. And I think that there was a lot in those games where we really struggled collectively, compactly as a team. We really struggled in, in key areas of the squad. Um, both in the right uh, right wing back and in central midfield. And it's very clear to me that in the summer transfer window, Emma Hayes is focused on those key areas, you know, going to a back three, bringing in Buchanan, obviously former Leon player, um, and midfield possibly, although we weren't able to get Grace Gayoro, which seemed to be the the key. We've got players like um, Kankovic coming in. And I think that it makes us a bit easier to deal with sides like PSG and Real Madrid, who are doing so well in their respective leagues. But the the thing that worries me is is at the moment going from what's happening in the league and the opening stage of the season, it's very clear that we still have a long way to go in our midfield. And from what I remember in in Chelsea's um, campaign where they made it to the final against Barcelona, past knockout stages against Bayern Munich and Wolfsburg, we had a real problem in midfield in the first legs. We had the luxury of second legs to turn things around. But in the opening legs, there was a real issue in allowing teams that counter-attack who play fast football with with possessive-style um, football in in stopping that. As I say, Emma Hayes has made a couple of changes since then, but I know that both PSG and Real Madrid are teams that play like that. They play, you know, they push forward. They, um, they're able to play possessively, play quick football, uh, you know, quick passing rondos, things that they trained for. So that's that's the reason why I'm worried. And and especially with what happened last season, um, again, in the knockout rounds, we've got to be better than that. You know, we've got to be able to say that the stuff we've done over the summer and the stuff that's that's been done in the first opening um, few games is going to take us past that. The, the goal has to be to reach that final. And Emma Hayes has always said that, but she was speaking actually, um, about it the other day and she said we've got to play better football collectively not just as individuals I think that that's important um, we, we're still working things out to be really honest with you we're still working out a midfield we're still working out what's going on in the defense um, we're still kind of getting going we we almost need that amount of time and we've just had international break and, and some of these players are coming back from the Euros so I think the concern um here is, is whether we're going to be ready enough. There's still a lot of experimentation going on, as I mentioned, loads of new players. Good players, mind you, you know, E. Perise, Kankovic, uh, we saw Katarina Svitkova the other day. Good players, but they need time. Um, and I think Chelsea are still figuring things out. So there is a concern. It's really about whether everything is going to be aligned um, and whether we're going to have things in order so that the mistakes of, of that season aren't repeated. Me, in I, a... I... Sorry. No, I, I just have to mention this because um, 
we we spoke to Lena Oberdorf the other day. Oh, then gosh. we we asked her a question about what's her what what's the biggest challenge uh, she sees for herself this season. And then she just mentioned what you just talked about there. You know, coming from from a big tournament uh, in England and she, she said that the hardest thing right now is to not motivate uh, herself because she's always motivated but she, she you know has to go again mm. uh, bring bring the level up and that was quite in- interesting but <laughs> uh, but the fact is that she's also mentioned that that looking at the, the WSL teams playing it's like and and you know uh, we are on video now when we record this and and she she did like it is back and forth back and forth and dual 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 so it's it's very interesting to see because I know that Jonas Edeval has has spoke about uh, the different style of play and how to adapt in order to to progress uh, in a tournament like like uh, the Champions League as well. So I do think that it's going to be very interesting uh, to see how teams uh, will play um, in this tournament. Ineas, is this the group of death then out of all four groups? Uh, I would think so, yes. I think uh, it's the group where it's the hardest to predict who will go through. Uh, Real Madrid might be perhaps... uh, the dark horse of the group but it's hard to say because um spanish teams have i mean they, they, they just knocked manchester city out two years in a row so and Sp- spanish teams tend to uh, do well against english teams for example uh so it's very very hard to predict who will go through and i look forward but it's also it's a pity it's a pity that we have two groups with three teams each that are so uh so so good because um well for example in the other one Lyon is apparently the stronger of the three in this one it's hard to really pinpoint which one uh is the strongest and um yeah um it, it's again it's a pity that we have uh the one the one candidate one clear candidate because all three are candidates one clear candidate will uh, will have to you know will be out of the Champions League in such an early stage, um, but uh, I think PSG will have to be very careful. They have been having issues internally uh, that have been um, outwardly very evident, uh, even for people from the outside. Um, so I think they. If they're not careful, they might be in for a surprise. Real Madrid can surprise everybody, you know, kind of uh, the opposite. Um, whereas Chelsea, I think Chelsea will be, will be very, very, very eager to show that what happened last year was uh, was an accident mm. and not, you know, that because sometimes with English teams, the problem is sometimes the perception we have of them is that they are stronger than they really are. It's, I think it's a problem that happens with English teams in general. Um, and I think Chelsea being the strongest team of the English teams, because they are champions, um, you know, two years, three years in a row. So, you know, it's, it's factually, theoretically, they're strong. They're the strongest ones. They reached the, the, the final uh, two seasons ago. So I think they will yeah, they will want to show that they are actually a candidate for the Champions League and uh, that they are not uh, that team that looks stronger than it really is. And I think it's also a big, big challenge for Emma Hayes because there have been there has mm. been some criticism of her coaching. Um, some justified, some not justified, you know, coaches are not perfect. Um, and I think this is the season for her to show, no, 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 I, I am one of the best managers in the world. And this Chelsea, the Chelsea I've built and I'm still building, is a strong contender for the Champions League every single year, unlike what happened last year. So I'm that, I think that's definitely the group to keep uh, an eye on. If you don't watch anyone else, although you should, uh, watch uh, the group uh, with Chelsea, PSG and uh, Real Madrid. 
I think it's going to be a really, really, really uh, good fight for the top spot and the second spot as well. Must mention also that the fact that Real Madrid is a very young team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do yeah. think I do think that that will add the pressure on Emma Hayes. Exactly. Because, because Chelsea is is a team and a club and their women's team has been around for many years and Emma Hayes has been managing the team for many years but Real Madrid they have it exactly so Look, can i also say that at the moment this Chelsea team are really quite in an experimented phase and this happened last season as well you know Emma Hayes learns things from each season um 3 seasons ago she learned that all out attacking football wasn't right we moved to a possessive style platform last season we learned that we had big issues in the back four that we needed right wing back our left wing back was injured. We switched to back three. Every season she makes one big change and we always need a couple of games and a couple of months even to get gelled. You know, last game, the first game of last season, we lost to Arsenal. This season, we re- never really got going. Failed to sign a number eight. Um, lost first game of the season. Emma Hayes always needs time for her teams to experiment. And often you don't have that time. I mean, the, these these group stage games are coming pretty quick and fast. Um but but she, we're still working things out, you know. We played really strangely um, against Manchester City, and and then uh, we were able to recover and 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 push from that. And I just I just feel like that's also another side of it. Like of course the pressure is on for Chelsea to to win these games because they are the strongest outfit. They have the most experienced manager. Um, but at the same time, you never quite know um, what Emma Hayes is going to do. And this is still a team that's working things out. Our back three now seems to be stronger for the summer signings we've made, but we're still not quite so sure what we're doing in, in midfield. So um, I think we just had to have that small caveat just, just to keep it in our minds. And maybe it's just for myself, because if something happens in the group stages, we lose a game, things look odd. I think a lot of people will be quick to be like, oh, that's so, you know, that's so bad. Chelsea did this, this and that. Um, but actually, if you, if you watch Chelsea regularly, you know that that this is quite common, um, and that they kind of need a, a while to get started. They'll they'll pick things up. They'll go up a couple of gears as the season goes on. But you are right, Enyes, in saying that last season was like it was bad. We knew it was bad. It was complete fluke. This is exactly why Emma Hayes went out and bought like you know five players bar Lucy Watson, um, who were pretty much won the Champions League before. Uh, won you know in the their um domestic leagues or at the top of their their game she went out and pick, picked the best players because she knew that the league wasn't an issue not so much you know we were they won three league titles in a row coming on to their fourth the the main issue and the one that we need to resolve is the champions league so this is what we prepared for but you know expect the unexpected i guess so the other group that we haven't touched on is group b that contains wolfsburg St. Paulton of Austria, Slavia Prague and Roma. And this is a really interesting group, isn't it? I, I can just start by, by telling you, I, I, I'm friends with a player in Roma, uh, she's Elin Landström, and then I just joked and sent her a message on Instagram just before we started recording this, that, and who have you bribed to, to get in, <laughs> to get in, the, in that group? And then she was like, yeah. <laughs> but I do think that, that's, that that was the best group for Roma uh, to, to be in. I mean, it's but, it's an interesting group because it's the least interesting out of all the other ones. I mean, like people who who might not be familiar with women's football or know like know it on a really basic level will be like, oh yes, Chelsea, PSG, Real Madrid, Lyon, Arsenal, Juventus, Wolfsburg, Slavia Prague, Sergio <laughs> Poulton, and Roma. Um, that seems to be the group to be in. So I do understand. I don't know what they they done to to get in that group, but. Um, I can only really talk of Wolfsburg in the fact that they were they played a big part in, in kicking Chelsea out last season and, and also were quite problematic in the season before. They seem to be the strongest team in that group. I definitely agree. Uh, I can tell you that as the draw was going on, because Benfica were also in port four, and I was like, okay, uh, you know, as the teams were being drawn into groups, I was like, okay, group B. Has to be Group B. Please go to Group B, because <laughs> uh, you know you you want the teams from your country to do well, uh, and uh, especially for the points. And then it was Roma, and I was like, ah, 
darn it <laughs> but also uh, i also wanted them to grow to go to group c just to be able to uh watch meet him alive so you know it's um because i've never watched you know international the biggest international stars uh on the stadium i wasn't able to go to the euro 22 2022 yeah there's a zero there um, but yes, that was definitely the group to, you know, to be drawn into, especially if, uh, if, if you're a weaker team, so to speak. Um, Wolfsburg are obviously, I think we don't need to, you know, a bit around the bush with this one. Wolfsburg are clear favorites for this group. Roma are, I think, the greatest candidate to be in second place. And that's also why any Portuguese fan wanted Benfica to be there too, because Benfica would also be a big candidate to finish the group in second place uh, in that uh, in that group. With all due respect to the other teams that were drawn into into the group, of course, but they are not as well known, and the teams that they beat to get to the stage were also teams that are not uh, as theoretically strong as others. For example, Bifika beat Rangers, uh, Arsenal beat Ajax. And uh, if you go and see the teams that uh, Slavia and Bolton beat, they're not the same level. So uh, yeah, that was definitely the group to, 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 to be drawn, de- drawn into. Um, I was just going to say one of the big things though now is the prize money for the Champions League is a lot so even for these teams just getting to the group stage is a massive achievement and some of them probably know they won't get very far in the group but ultimately they'll know financially they'll be in a better place and they can maybe compete better in the Champions League in years to come yeah definitely because like even for Benfica as I was saying like um, some time ago uh, the big prize is to get to the to the group stage that's where you want to be that's the main goal anything else that goes uh anything any later stages there are bonus if it happens but the group stage is where you want to be for the points for the money and for for the for the prestige as well so you know to to to, to be able to say that you're a champions league team because truth is the champions league teams are the ones that to get to the group stage those are the ones that you say okay they're there every year and they're there fighting against the big names and so just getting to the group stage that is a big achievement now anything that happens from now on for the smaller teams uh you know the ones that aren't uh, actually you know fighting for the title anything else is just a bonus and they're going to compete of course and be as competitive as possible they're but yeah, the, the prize is group stage. There's no way to go around that. That is where they want to be. And they're there. So they've done their jobs and they've done it great. So now they're just, you know, competing against the best, having fun and getting some very important money for their clubs because women's football is still uh, very underdeveloped in a lot of countries and a lot of places. So the money that they get from the Champions League is very, very important as well. Two WSL games took place last midweek as well. Chelsea beat West Ham 3-1 and Everton grabbed a stoppage time winner to beat Leicester City. Now, I want to ask you, Inyesh and Mia, about uh, the record crowds in the WSL. Are they being taken notice of abroad? And is there envious looks um, across sort of Europe about what's happening in the WSL, especially on the back of the Euro? I can tell you that uh, the big crowds, especially, I think they're looked at with some envy in terms of, because uh, the biggest teams here in Portugal are Benfica, Braga and Sporting. Those are the three teams in the women's football. Porto doesn't have a women's team, so, you know, um, which is shameful. Um, so, the, the fans are always saying like, oh, we should play more games in the big stadiums and bring more people in. But then the truth is, uh, last year when they played uh, at Stade de Luz, uh, which is the Befica turf, and it was the title game against Sporting, it wasn't marketed right. So there were only like 12,000 people, which, you know, 
is not a lot in a 60,000 people stadium because it looks empty. Um, so, you know, to see these big crowds in the WSL and to see the, you know, the, 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 all that winning the Euro, the Euros has, you know, done for women's football in, you know, at this point, because we don't know what will happen later, you know, if the euphoria will die down or if, you know, this is a movement that is going to go strong for a big while. Uh, but for now, it's definitely something that we wish would happen here too, although it doesn't. Um, and I think it's very, but it's, it's also very good that it's happening in England because England has always been um, a bit of a, a game changer in, in women's football. Uh, other countries follow England and women's football and football in general. Uh, other countries follow England. They are often the ones who set the pace and seeing England do things right, or at least do a lot of things right, uh, it motivates other countries to do a lot of things right too. And I, I really wish that uh, this trend of people going to stadiums and stadiums filling up, and you know, uh, the, the women's football party can spread to other countries, and we can see more people in stadiums supporting their teams and supporting women's football. Uh, so it's great that it's happening. Yeah, and in Sweden, we had uh, an average of uh, 822 fans uh, in the stands for every game before the Euros. We haven't had the new numbers uh, yet, but like it's, I do think that the Swedish league is struggling, uh, no matter what England does or not, to be honest. I'm not sure why, because we have a lot of teams in, in the top flight division here that has uh, big men's teams uh, as well in the top flight. Uh, we have four teams in Stockholm, just to mention a few, and then we have Beko Hecken, obviously, who played PSG. With They they managed uh, a record in attendance um, at club level uh, the other day when, when they played PSG. I think it was... 5118 in the stands we often have the the thing is in in sweden is that uh, the stadiums they are either very small uh, or too big um so it's um it's a bit it's a bit strange to me because yesterday linköping here where i live played beko hecken that that was a top match uh, in the Damalsvenskan. Uh, I often find myself very, very like surprised because like for now, when both Johanna Rytten-Kaneryd and uh, Jelena Cankovic uh, has, have moved to, to and signed for Chelsea, that those are the two players that have been the best uh, consistently throughout the years in the Swedish league. And uh, I, I think it's quite surprising that more people aren't interested in the Dalman Svenskan, especially from England, because uh, you guys often sign our players uh, that plays here in this league. We have a lot of players I'm sure of right now that is going to go uh, across the sea to play to play in England. Is that down um, to like TV deals though? Because, for example, now on the zone, you can watch La Liga Femini on there as well. It, does it need some sort of TV deal maybe for people that can watch it on YouTube or something like that? Well, they ha- they the, the fact is that the Damalsvenskan has a deal like that, not for free, but the zone all haven't, does not show uh, all league games in Spain now for free as well. You have to have their subscriptions to be able to watch every, every game. But fancy.com has um, broadcasted the Damalsvenskan uh, for many years, I think. So I, I do I do think it's it's like this as well, because in Sweden we... Obviously, there's very different ownership uh, of the clubs in Sweden because here every club is owned by the members. Mm. Um, so it's, I mean, we have two teams uh, in the Damalsvenskan right now fighting to survive financially. And that is in a year where women's football have broken all the records across mm. Europe and the world. So I do think that the Swedish League have 
has a job to do. Uh, that is so much higher than the Portuguese league. And, uh, and also the thing about Spanish, for example, I can't watch uh, the Swedish league uh, without a VPN because it's not available here uh, without a VPN. But also, uh, for example, the Spanish league, I can, I can watch all of the Spanish league for two euros, two. In, in order to be able to watch all of the Portuguese league, I need to pay, if, not, if I'm not mistaken, 40 euros per month. 40. <laughs> so Insane. I can watch every single game of the Spanish league for two euros a month. And the other one, I can't because I'm not going to pay 30 euros, 40 euros a month for, to, to watch football. I don't, as much as I love it, you know. So, of course, I work in journalism, so I get, a, I get access to a lot of games uh through work but it's crazy 40 euros a month is it's 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 insane that's not how you promote women's football and that is not how you get people to watch women's football so i think uh as uh, you know the, the spanish league having the deal with the zone for two euros that's the way to go this champions league having all of the games for free that's the way to go as well uh you know uh gatekeeping women's football uh for 40 euros a month that is not uh the way to go definitely so domestically it was the conti cup this weekend remember it's split into groups so nobody's out at this stage and carla ball was in full motion again as they beat manchester united on penalties both sides did make changes but it was still two strong lineups nikita paris opened a scoring for man united but rachel daly equalized and it was villa who progressed 4-3 on penalties and Marianne Villa look a different proposition this season, don't they? Yeah, um, I think they really, really made a lot of good summer signings. Um, we know Rachel Daly's been doing pretty good, but um, actually Kenzie, Kenzie Daly as well, having her, and she's a French um, French national star. I've seen her at the Euros, and, and I think they've just added something that they were really lacking last season. Um, they were really struggling possession when it came to attacking football, and I think that having those two has given them much more of a target in terms of how to attack, how to progress the ball. Uh, Rachel Daly, um, I watched her play against Manchester City, and of course Manchester City have a whole host of problems, but she was just so hard to mark and so hard to to be around to to get the ball off her. So easy to make runs into the box. Obviously, as I say, I understand Man City are struggling at the moment, but with her leading that attack, Aston Villa just looked like they were so hard to stop. They were so quick with the ball. They were able to get in. And there were a couple of mistakes made by Roebuck, but it, it does seem that under Carla Ward, um, Aston Villa are, are progressing more collectively. And it's not just hit and misses. They had a couple of spells last season where they were doing well, you know, traveling up the table, coming around ninth, challenging teams, other teams like Birmingham and, and further up. And then, at the latter in the season, again, really struggling. There's not been a sense of consistency, but you watch them at the start of this season and you really feel and can sense that that's changed. Something has really changed and it's made them, in an attacking sense, quite um, hard to stop. The other game of note was London City Lionesses at the Championship drawing 2-2 with West Ham and then losing an epic penalty shootout by 10 goals to 9. The Lionesses looked as though they had secured victory, but a 94th-minute equaliser from Danyi Brangis Dottier forced the game to, into penalties. Now, there was a story out this week about, uh, or over the last couple of weeks, about West Brom having to change the shorts. They didn't want to be wearing white shorts because of all the issues around periods and things like that. It's it's a really interesting story, isn't it, Mariam? And, and to, the taboo around it as well. And it's really being highlighted now, isn't it? Well, I think for so long, it's just been such a struggle for, for women in football. Um, and it's just been something that people think can be pushed to the side. Um, I don't think people understand enough how, how hard it is to, to do any physical activity um, when you're menstruating or or even just what the things involved. Like, for example, I only recently have stadiums made um, period pads free. A lot of the time women have had to pay for that. And if you're um, someone who's struggling for money financially, that's been difficult as well. Um, there's definitely a, a sort of vibe around it that women should be able to deal with it without understanding the struggles and the issues involved. So I think 
the fact that West Brom have gone ahead and done this and and also built on exactly what even the England national women's team were saying during the Euros, because this isn't the first time a football team has spoken about these issues. West uh, West Brom have actually gone and done something about it. And it's such a, a big sign of how we are developing women's football, not just in a physical sense of what happens on the pitch, but also how players are affected off it. Um, and it's just so much more progressive and inclusive um, I really like this quote from from Jenny Sugarman, who's the head coach. She said, "It's our job to, as staff, to find every percentage point we can to support our players." And it's it's such a nice thing to really hear that that this is what it means to take care of a team, to 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 be mindful enough that you know these are issues that continue to plague women, that you want to do something to to sort of help that. So they the decision they made, which is to switch to navy shorts instead of the white ones. It's such a small change, but it has such a big effect. And I'm really hoping that can spread to other teams um, and, and other leagues. So we're going to look at the results in the National League. Burnley remained top in the North. They won away at Wolverhampton Wanderers. That's the big result of the day there. There's a good win for Huddersfield against Liverpool Feds. AC Fowler started the season slowly. They drew 2-2 at home to Stoke. West Brom drew 1-1 with Brighouse and Balmere St. Michael's. They got a good win away at Loughborough Lightning. In the Southern Division, it's Oxford United who remain top, despite only drawing 1-1 with third place Watford. Portsmouth are in second. They had a big win, 5-0 at home to Billa Ricky. Bridgewater and Milk Kings drew 1-1. It switched 3-0 at home to Crawley Wasps. London Bees, they lost 4-2 at home to Cheltenham. And Plymouth Argyle beat Gillingham by two goals to one. So many thanks to Mia and Ineesh. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. And it's been a pleasure, Mia. Yeah, uh, likewise. Thanks for having <laughs> me and have a great week, all of you. I'm sure we'll see, I'll see you online. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> and also thanks to Marianne for joining us. Thanks, Marianne. Uh, no worries. Uh, happy I got to come back. Thank you very much for joining us this week and listening in. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review and also follow us on social media at TWFP1 and on Instagram we are the Women's Football Podcast. Until then, enjoy yourselves. We'll be back next week to review the International Roundup. The Lioness is taking on the USA. We'll be there for that one so we'll get reaction to that one and all the other international games taking place. See you all soon.